I was lucky to grow up in the business, and I learned everything from my father. I was basically born on a movie set. And then, of course, the heartbreak of then, oh, you want that one, and you flip the box, and there's no tape behind it because it's already checked out. Kids, these were heartbreaking things we had to deal with <laughs> back in the day. Apparently, Brad Pitt came in an audition, and we didn't oh. care for it. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you win some, you lose some. Welcome. We hope you're having a frightful start to the holiday season. This is the Fright Club Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. We have a special guest today. This is going to be a blast, uh, talking to one horror legend, legend the horror, especially the independent horror community, and um, talking about some of his best projects, best movies, and he's got a bunch of stories, a brand new book out. Charles Band is our special guest. He's on the way, and we want to say thank you first and foremost to everybody that came out to the Gateway Film Center. We were live, back live, in front of that great crowd last time as we showed a classic movie and talked about claustrophobia in horror. Yeah, we got to show the original Spoorloose, The Vanishing, uh, which is such a great movie. It's a, it's a movie that we've talked about on a number of podcasts. We're excited to get to see it in a crowd, get real creeped out by it, because it's very, very creepy, and it's like a slow burn that doesn't feel like a horror movie, and when it turns horror, you're just like, it's like a gut punch. And it was fun to talk about claustrophobia. We had a lot of great uh, feedback. Dark Phantom Dark Dave had, he mentioned one that makes him feel claustrophobic, and that's the Blair Witch Project, which I find interesting. Excuse yeah. me, Blair Witch, which I find interesting because the woods, I think one of the reasons that the woods creep me out as much as they do is because I, I feel very claustrophobic in the woods. Yeah, not the Blair Witch Project, but Blair Witch. Blair Witch, Which yes. does spend more time in the end when things get really crazy inside a building mm. where, where, where the uh, Blair Witch Project yeah, is there's, not. There's a very confined uh, segment in that film. Yeah, and I know, I don't think we've talked about Blair Witch much. I think it doesn't have a good reputation. I liked it. Oh, yeah, we both did. Yeah, we liked you know, it a lot. A lot of people don't, and maybe we should dive into that sometime in, in some... Uh, category we can come up with because yeah I thought it was pretty solid but uh, that's an interesting take though to be claustrophobic yeah out in the woods but I, I can see Blair Witch because they are in that building at the end so that's good feedback and we got it was nice to get the feedback from everybody there right after the movie because a lot of people had either not seen it or seen the American remake which we don't love uh, because of the way they pull punches at the end but uh, and also the way as we mentioned Jeff Bridges even though he's a, a really legendary actor, I just don't love his take on that character. Agreed. Yeah, totally agree. But uh, the original Sporloose was great to see uh, on the big screen with a crowd, and that's a fantastic lead performance. So thank you for that. We'll be back live at Gateway Film Center uh, in December for a look at Santa Claus's Frightful Santas. <laughs> that should be fun. And we're going to sh show a great movie, too. So more on that coming up. But today, yeah, we've got a special guest, a legendary. He's been a producer. He's been a director, been a writer, Charles Band. And he has a brand new book out. Welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Uh, your brand new memoir, Confessions of a Puppet Master. I love that. It is out now. And i got to ask you, there's so many fantastic stories in this book. Have you always been a journal-keeping guy, or did you do all this by memory? No, no, zero journal. I hate it. No, what happened was uh, last year as things slowed down, uh, I was approached by HarperCollins. They got wind of my crazy story, and um, they put me with a literary agent. We made a deal, and he coupled me up with a wonderful biographer uh, who became a good friend, Adam Felber, who, amongst other things, was the head writer on Bill Marshall for 11 years. And we spent, I don't know, 30 Saturday mornings together. Uh, I'm telling my stories. He's kind of like 
you know, prodding my memory, which is not that great. And little by little, this, uh, these stories came together. So, uh, yeah, no journal. <laughs> you know, when you when you originally started with the studio, it was because you didn't like the way the business worked. What was it that you didn't like, and how did you fix it? Well, uh, it's I didn't really start with the studio. I was always independent, and, you know, I... I lived vicariously a bit through some of my friends who went on to become, you know, well-known directors and writers and actors. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that, you know, I work in my own bubble. Yes, I don't have lots of money. We make low-budget movies. I've done this now forever. And, uh, you know, there's a certain autonomy and freedom, and I'm lucky enough to enjoy all that, especially now with streaming because we control our streaming channels. So from concept to exhibition, you know, dreaming this stuff up, finding the right people to make the movie. I direct some. I produce them all. They get finished. They get marketed. And then now they're in people's homes. It's kind of, I mean, I miss the home video business, the direct-to-video business. That was cool for many years. And for some time, we were the number one independent supplier to Blockbuster in Hollywood. We were, a full moon movie came out every month. Uh, Paramount did our distribution. But, you know, you 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 either love that smaller confined world where you can be more creative but you're also limited because you don't have a lot of money and stars and or you wait as my friends do sometimes a year or two between projects and that's sort of the trade-off so if you're able to be successful which is also rare in this business and you make big movies it's a it's a waiting game and one of the things i've done over the years and one of the reasons why these full moon movies usually look pretty damn good for small movies is Friends who I've worked with who've gone on to become well-known art directors or cinematographers, they do sit at home a lot, and I'll call whoever it is. I'll say, hey, what are you doing in two weeks? And they say, well, we're, we're free. We don't shoot till March. I go, well, they, you know, come on board. I'll pay you the same pay I paid you back in the 70s, and let's have some fun and shoot <laughs> my two-week wonder. And most of these people come on board because they're artists. They want to work, you yeah. know, and, yeah, sometimes they'll work under another name, but then suddenly I've got to a great DP or a great uh, art director uh, involved in a, in, a, in a small movie. Well, we've picked out five of the most frightful Charles Band projects to talk about. And one of the things you see over and over uh, in his films is big stars, stars that went on to be big stars before they were, you know, before they were that famous. And one of those we're going to start out with is from 1984. And it's a gruff bounty hunter traveling back in time to 1980s Los Angeles to stop a twisted criminal who can transform people into zombie-like creatures. It's trancers. I guess I just attract a certain element no matter what century I'm in. This way, mister! Anyway, I gotta run now. I wanna ride with the ladies. Over here, Ashby! And he's never even been here before. Trancers. And of course, the the main reason to see this one is Helen Hunt. You know, what's funny about Helen Hunt being in this movie is that it's not like she was an absolute nobody by, by 1984. I mean, she'd been kicking around TV for years since she was very young. She'd already had one TV series by the time she made this movie. But what I love the most about Helen Hunt is that she came back to do shorts yeah. with the same character and to, to do a proper sequel Around the same same time, she made Twister. Like once she was fully established as Helen Hunt, she still was, you know, she still was attached to the series, and I love that about her. And a couple other faces you'll notice in the cast here: Telma Hopkins, 
who first came to fame uh, in Dawn, Tony Orlando in Dawn, and then she went on to do a, a long career uh, in uh, in films and TV. She's in this, and also Art Lafleur, who just passed away. He is a long time that guy. Of course, he was in uh, Field of Dreams. He's a guy who said, hey, don't wink, kid. Um, over and over, so many films. Art Lafleur, R.I.P. He's in this as well. And uh, and actually, legend has it that Betty Davis had been considered for the role of Chairman Ash, but was unavailable for the part. Betty! That would have been so great. I mean, that would have been so great to see Betty Davis in that role. And speaking of Helen Hunt, the motorcycle scene marked the first time Helen Hunt had operated a motorcycle. So, so danger on the set. Wow. So, uh, Charles Band, our special guest, the new book is Confessions of a Puppet Master. So, when you have someone in the cast that has this much more recognizable talent, like Helen Hunt in Trancers, is there something that just stands out right away in these artists? Yeah, you hope you, you know, it's a matter of hopefully decent or good taste, but you, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, you're, you're today's a little different because you get video or tape or digital auditions, whereas in the old days, you know, that didn't really happen. So you would, your, your casting director would, if a hundred people audition for a part, it would kind of boil down to maybe the best seven or eight for that role. And then you would sit as director or producer and director and you would attend these auditions. And yeah, sometimes the talent just grabs you by the throat. It's like, oh my God, you know, I, mean, I remember, I don't remember all these auditions. I've done thousands, but, you know, Demi Moore pops out as a super talented um, actor at age 20. Same thing with Helen Hunt, you know. She had done some work, <clears throat> but this was the first, you know, co-lead and transfers. And, yeah, you just, um, I don't want to say you have to be blind not to recognize talent, but, you know, you got to kind of look and see. And then sometimes it's it's sort of in its embryonic stage, and you go, oh, my God, that, that guy seems really, really cool. And then you miss some. Apparently Brad Pitt came in an audition, and we didn't oh. care for him. So, oh. you, know, <laughs> you, you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> okay, that's one swing and a miss. You're allowed that. <laughs> And it's not just Helen Hunt. Demi Moore has been in these early films of Viggo Mortensen, a young Viggo Mortensen as well. And also in this one, from 1986, we see Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's a wicked troll king in search of a mystical ring that will transform him to human form, invading a San Francisco apartment complex where a powerful witch lives. This is Troll. Once upon a time when the world was filled with wonder, little creatures shared the earth with humans. And magic was a way of life. Once Upon a Time is now. Empire Pictures presents Troll. The weirdest, the rowdiest, the most mischievous, and the scariest little creature of them all. This actually has a stacked cast. You got Michael Moriarty, Shelley Hack, Sonny Bono. You got Brad Hall, right? Julia Louis-Dreyfus husband, Brad Hall. I think this is where they met, is it not? I believe they met on the set here. Well, that would make sense. Also, Gary Sandy from one of my favorite shows as a kid, WKRP in Cincinnati. It is. I mean, it's just a who's who of kind of, you know, C talent. (laughs) But but it's a super fun movie. And of course, the reason that I think uh, now it stands out so much is because the lead, who's played by Atreyu, right, from The Neverending Story, his name is Harry Potter. As is his dad. Yeah, that is so weird to think of it now. And I think early on there was talk of a lawsuit uh, for J.K. Rowling, believe that she copied off their film. But uh, she called it ridiculous, said she was never even aware of this film. So it does appear to be roughly a coincidence. But yeah, that jumps out now as well as this cast. 
And like a lot of these B-movie creature features, it, it might have quickly came and went at the theaters, but then when it became available on video cassette in stores across the country, as well as uh, getting some late night play on TV, it became a cult film. Not to the same degree, I think, as Troll 2. It's, <laughs> it's unofficial, completely unrelated sequel, which is considered maybe the worst movie ever made. But it's still, I mean, Troll is a fun movie, and it's funny in parts, and I think part of that is because it has a, it has a really talented cast. I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is one of the funniest people on earth, and she's such a great actor. But it's not just her. I mean, the movie, you know, it's definitely campy. It's definitely schlocky. It is definitely low budget. But it's got an interesting balance of genuine horror and really funny moments. And it also features a cameo from our special guest today, Charles Band, appearing briefly as part of the young couple seen on TV. And that's number four on our list of Charles Band most frightful moments 1986 Troll. Talking with Charles Band about the new memoir, Confessions of a Puppet Master. And I got to ask you, on all these, just so many great stories. Is it true your first babysitter was Marilyn Monroe? How did, how did this happen? It is true. Um, and, well, my dad, I was lucky to grow up in the business, and I learned everything from my father. I was basically born on a movie set. And um, he was, back in the day, 49, 50, he was um, assistant director and, and worked for John Huston, the famous director. And they, they did a movie together called The Asphalt Jungle, where they discovered Marilyn Monroe. And like most of these actors, they, she was broke, and, you know, she became friendly with my mom and dad, and that lasted many, many years. But as the story goes, in those early days, um, she actually babysat a couple times for, with me, or for me, I guess. And it's a hell of a regret, because I can only imagine her holding me and doing whatever you do to a little kid. I was freaking four months old. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about and looking over your your list of films, you know, when you when you think back to like the VHS days and wandering through the the aisles there, what right. you don't remember are like you know the Oscar winning classics. What you do remember is Subspecies, you know, Reanimator, <laughs> you know what I mean, Puppet yeah. Master, Rawhead Rex. Did you have a sense as as you know as the industry kept changing? Did you have a, a sense of what it was you were going to accomplish? I, I did. You know, we we someone once said, Charlie, you're sort of making counterfeit A movies and. First, I thought, well, that's sort of insulting. And I thought, well, you know, it's kind of true because back in those good old video days, if you had a movie that was successful and cool and jumped out on the video store shelves, you would be sitting, your movie on VHS and later on DVD would be sitting next to, if it was a horror movie, you know, Terminator and you know, Aliens and there was Puppet Master and Subspecies and Transfers, which, which was great. You know, we, that, that, those days are gone. We don't quite sit next to on a streaming site, you know, huge, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting next to Dune, you know. <laughs> but having said all that, uh, I was going to say something not nice about Dune. I stopped myself. But <laughs> the, the point of all this is, um, yeah, we are, we are in competition with these huge movies. So you really need to make, create a title and a piece of art that feels like, oh, my God, Puppet Master. I must have missed that in the theaters. I've got to rent this movie. It looks so cool. That's sort of the formula. And, and we pulled that off, you know, many times, sometimes not. But we, we sort of, that was the model, and, and it worked, and, and it, was, uh, it, it was great for many, many years. All right, well, that gives us a perfect chance to get back to the list, a couple that you mentioned there. We'll start with number three from 1986, an ancient creature called Rawhead is awakened from its slumber near an Irish village and goes on a rampage, killing anyone in sight. It's Rawhead Rex. What I saw wasn't human. Oh, my God! <laughs> 
very tall. And what's more, it saw me, this thing. One of the reasons that this movie is as interesting to me as it is, is that it was written by a young Clive Barker. And also that it's Irish. And I always love Irish horror movies. And it's very Irish. So it's an American family that travels to Ireland to do some research. And they don't like each other. I'm sorry. Maybe they're supposed to. But these actors clearly didn't like each other. But I think the thing that makes it stand out for, you know, the memory of it is definitely that video cover where you can see Heinrich von Schlendorf. Heinrich von Schellendorf <laughs> as Rawhead Rex. I love the fact that Peter Mayhew was originally considered to play Rawhead Rex. You know, Chewbacca? But uh, his fee was too high because once he was Chewbacca and the word got out that that was him, yeah, he was up in the, the big bucks. So that didn't work. But, um, yeah, in, I guess in Clive Barker's original story, Rawhead Rex was a nine-foot-tall demon with a face like raw meat. This is another one, though, you know, in revisiting it, it's funny. It's very low budget. There, You know, it shows that. But it, I, there are also moments of it that I find really funny. And we keep going back to this, this VHS thing, but it's it's such a point that will get lost on people that aren't old enough to remember. But it's just so true. Anybody that remembers going to those video stores, right away just things jumped out at you on the box. And then, of course, the heartbreak of then, oh, you want that one, and you flip the box, and there's no tape behind it because it's already checked out. Kids, these were heartbreaking things we had to deal with (laughs) back in the day. (laughs) But uh, from a marketing standpoint, just think about that. That's something that now has been totally removed. It's sort of like album covers and the backs of album covers with or lyrics or whatever that was inside. Those things are totally gone. Which is a shame when you think about, I mean, who doesn't remember the Puppet Master uh, VHS box cover? Good point, good point. And that takes us up to number two. Made its way into the title of Charles Band's new book. Psychics find themselves plotted against by a former colleague who committed suicide after discovering animated murderous puppets from 1989, Puppet Master. They have given life to a deadly power. We're all in danger. And now, a box of little toys. I think someone's in the room, Frank. Has become a gang of little terrors. (laughs) Pinhead. Blade. (laughs) Ms. Leech. (laughs) Jester. And Tunneler. Puppet Master. This is not the first time Puppet Master has made it onto our list. Actually, we talked about it not that long ago when Phantom Dark Dave was on with us and we talked about puppets or dolls. It's got a couple of great cameos. You know, you got William Hickey early on, who's perfect as the original Puppet Master. Always love William Hickey. And fun fact, uh, I love saying fun fact now because we recently got to interview McKenna Grace for our other (laughs) podcast, uh, The Screening Room, and she liked to say fun fact, which I love. Anyway, William Hickey was Paul Lamatt's acting teacher, and they both reunited on this set. Wow! <laughs> Can you imagine having William Hickey for a teacher? <laughs> you would immediately start, at least I would, start trying to talk like him. <laughs> and you can't. 
Well, and the, your favorite cameo, of course, is the lovely Barbara Crampton. Oh, yeah. Always. Barbara Crampton in any movie. Um, and the, what, another funny thing about this is the puppet, of course, Blade, which is a great name, doesn't have any lungs or really any internal organs, but breathes heavily and sounds out of breath all the time, which, all right. Well, if we can't figure out what his what's inside of him that makes him breathe, I can't begin to figure out about that slug puppet, the one who's always <laughs> vomiting up slugs, but she's my favorite. <laughs> and this is one that was inspired by an earlier Charles Band production about killer toys, you might remember, from 1986 called Dolls. Well, that was another great VHS box cover. Always comes back to the VHS box covers. Number two on our uh, Charles Band frightful films from 1989, Puppet Master. The man himself, Charles Band, our special guest on Fright Club, and the book Confessions of a Puppet Master is out now. The obvious question is, who, who has the movie rights? Are we going to see a movie adaptation? <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to tell the story. You know, it's not a book that you've got a lot of technical, how I made this and that. It's, it's the journey of an entrepreneur, you know, highs and super bummer lows. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be helpful and somewhat inspiring, I hope, to anybody who tries to marry art and, you know, and commerce, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, whether you're a sculptor, a painter, you're a musician, you know, how do you survive doing what you love to do? And I mean, there's no difference from what I've had to deal with as, you know, a filmmaker. Uh, I didn't get any money. No one gave me like, Oh, here's a bunch of money. Go make movies. So you kind of uh, shuck and jive. And I, I think it's, and, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell the story. Now, after the video days ended, literally, and Blockbuster and Hollywood closed, it was death for anybody surviving or trying to survive in that business. And we held on. I did a road show. I did a tour. I tried to stay connected. And then, thank God, streaming came along. And we, we were, you know, I was really the second company after Netflix to kind of get in the streaming business. So now there's a new, a new way to deliver basically uh, the same kind of entertainment. And that brings us up to number one, the number one film on our list in the long and impressive resume of Charles Band. This is from, you probably guessed it, 1985, after an odd new medical student arrives on campus. A dedicated local and his girlfriend become involved in bizarre experiments centering around the reanimation of dead tissue. Reanimator. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. Herbert, you're insane! Now what happened? I had to kill him! He's dead? Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. It will scare you to pieces. This is one where Charles Band were, jumped in and distributed the film, and it became a calling card for everything that he would go on to do because it was so wildly popular. So many great fun facts about this movie. Number one, 24 gallons of fake blood used during the shoot. At the time, one of the bloodiest films ever made. And, and also, David Bowie, by the way. David Bowie worked with cinemato the cinematographer on Reanimator, Mac Alberg. He worked on, if you remember, David Bowie was on an episode of the old show Dream On, and Mac Alberg worked on that as well, and they were talking, and Bowie found out that Alberg had shot this, and he said, that's my favorite film. 
That's amazing. Another reason to love David Bowie. It's a lot of people's favorite film. I mean, it's super fun. It's so weird. It's so wrong-headed. We've talked about it dozens and dozens of times. And, of course, I think, it, you know, there are so many great things to, to point to. Moments, a young Barbara Crampton, who's great in it. But Jeffrey Combs, he just owns every second he is on screen. Yeah, and speaking of Barbara Crampton, apparently she... Well, she told Entertainment Weekly in an interview years ago that she actually came in for the second round of auditions for the role because the girl, there's another girl that had won the part on the first round of auditions but had to turn it down because her mother read the script and said, no, you're not doing that. (laughs) And we all, this film, and we all were better for it. And this is, of course, directed by Stuart Gordon. And originally it was, well, it's, it's based on, loosely based, on an H.P. Lovecraft story. But as the production went on, it really, the, the final film now has little in common with the story. It was intended to be a parody of Frankenstein, but they just got rolling with their own vibe and went with it. It's a vibe that's really unlike any other. And and it has, you know, it spawned a lot of sequels. All of them are pretty decent. None of them are too bad. And then, of course, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton came back and did From Beyond, which Charles Band also distributed. And it's a classic for so many reasons. Number one on our Charles Band Frightful Films list for Fright Club 1985's Reanimator. Just an amazing slate of movies, an amazing run, you know, in in low-budget independent film. And George and I actually are becoming low-budget independent filmmakers ourselves for our very first movie. What advice would you give us? Run for the hills. <laughs> no, no, there's no advice. Just, you know, stick with it. The book is, is, the, book is the advice. You know, you just... Mm-hmm. You're passionate. Look, how bad can it be? If you fail, if you lose the money, if it doesn't work, all right, right. you move on. You know, you, it's not a death sentence. I, I started my life kind of with some really bad bummer health issues and near death and hospitals and third world countries. And <clears throat> once you go through that, if you've got that entrepreneurial spirit, you go, well, no matter what, it can't be as bad as that, you know? Right. And I'm going to take away your, your base advice, which is shuck and jive. <laughs> yes, that's 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 my quote. But and speaking of shucking and jiving, a, a, a thing I decided to do a few days ago. And for anyone listening, if you go to fullmoondirect.com, which is our site, uh, I wanted to give the book away for free, and Harper Collins thought that was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a I, I did a workaround. So if you go to the site, just buy the book anywhere on Amazon, and send a little proof of purchase, we'll give you a full one-year subscription to our streaming site for free. Wow. And that's like a $70 value for no dough. You can watch a thousand crazy movies. You can watch a movie for three years every night. That is awesome. Confessions of a Puppet Master, the brand new book out now, Charles Band, movie legend. Thank you for your time and best of luck on the book. And good luck on your movie. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, this episode is going to be hard to top, but we're going to try. We're going to be back at Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio for the next edition of Fright Club Live. That is going to be on Wednesday, December 8th. We're going to talk about frightful Santa Clauses in horror, and we're going to show, well, tell them what we're going to show. We have the 35-millimeter print of Rare Exports. That is going to be a lot of fun. And there's more frightful Santas than you might imagine. Santa, not always a good guy. No, and you know what? A lot of them are really quite good movies. Not all of them are. Some of them are (laughs) movies George would not sit through a second time. However... Well, that's going to be next month. But in the meantime, let us know uh, about this month. And boy, Charles Band, so many great stories. And we only could get to a few of them today. But by all means, check out the book, Confessions of a Puppet Master. And let us know what you thought. You can always keep the conversation going. You can find us uh, easily on Twitter. We're at Fright Club Pod. Also on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us 
at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews of all the uh, new releases, regardless of genre. And our other podcast that we mentioned called The Screening Room, you can find that easily on our main website, which is madwolf.com. So we hope to hear from you. In the meantime, have a great holiday season. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Thanks again to our special guest, Charles Band, and this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.